0: You know, there are some sermons that you can't wait to preach, and then there are others. (laughs) So three or four weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching from 1 Corinthians 13 on the subject of love, every preacher's favorite passage. This week, I'm beginning to understand why Charlie went on sabbatical. (laughs) Because I'm preaching from some hard teachings from Jesus about the spirit of service. As you heard from Matthew 23, I'm preaching about two things that are uh, not as common as they should be in churches, avoiding hypocrisy and practicing humility. Jesus has a lot of things to say about these two subjects, and I think I'm going to begin with a confession and a very unhumble start. This picture of a strikingly handsome young man, which is in fact me at age 16, wearing a very stylish, I think, brown polo neck sweater, as was the fashion in the early 70s, is there to remind me and you that as I started my studies at Sheffield University, that's when I preached my first sermon at the age of 19. And um, not so long ago, And I know that you would ask the question, what was it that prompted you to do that, Rick? Did you feel a calling from God to preach his word? Did you uh, have encouragement from friends? Did you receive a prophetic word that said you should be in the pulpit? Uh, The rather embarrassing answer is none of those, it was just that I was so frustrated by the boring sermons that I'd heard, which sent me to sleep, I said, as an arrogant young man would, you know, I could do better myself. And now I feel, 40 years later, that perhaps as I preach, I will in turn be an inspiration to a whole new generation (laughs) of young preachers who listen to me. Um, at my wedding my best man Jamie uh, said Rick is a very modest man mind you he added as a joke he has a lot to be modest about (laughs) Uh, and I do sometimes feel that is the case Um, not very humble so let's talk about hypocrisy and um Hypocrisy is, um, is a word that's come about from, from the Greek, from Greek plays actually. When the same actor would walk on with a happy message wearing a happy mask and then return as later in the play with a sad message, uh, with a sad mask. These people were called hypocrites. They were people who were two-faced. And of course, you don't need me to define what hypocrisy is. We all hate hypocrites. We hate hypocrites we work with. We hate hypocrites in our community. We hate hypocrites who are politicians. And most people hate hypocrites who come to church. I love the story of the man who said to the vicar, I don't go to church, vicar. It's so full of hypocrites. And the vicar said, well, don't worry, one more won't make any difference at all. (laughs) Well, Jesus hates hypocrisy. If you look at the passage that Sharon read so well for us in Matthew 23, I've made a list of what Jesus calls out. People who don't practice what they preach, people who wear extra-wide prayer boxes, people who wear robes with long tassels so they look fancy, who take seats of honour, who like respectful greetings, who like to be called rabbi, and later on in the passage, who shut the kingdom of God in people's faces, ignore the importance of the law, and are, as Jesus said, filthy on the inside, but they look great On the outside. And just in case you didn't know, prophecy is alive and well in the church. Last month, I think this was the best example I've seen. A certain evangelist called Jess Duplantis asked his congregation for a mere $54 million, not for one private jet, but for his fourth private jet, so that he could take his tele evangelical message to the entire world. Think how many starving people you could feed for 54 million. Hypocrisy, the same man, no doubt, who is telling people that you know, they need to give up and live humble lives and follow Christ. He said, well, if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't be riding around on a donkey, which may be true, but doesn't really justify what I think is shocking hypocrisy. The other thing, of course, and it's, I've not put it on a slide, is all the sex scandals that have wrecked the church in almost every country in the world. How sad that leaders um, have just not been able to um, practise what they preach. They've preached sexual fidelity, but they've not practised it. And just in case you thought uh, it was all in the newspapers, the truth is we've only got to look in the mirror to see hypocrisy. Because we all say one thing sometimes and don't do it, or say one thing and mean another, and I've just put on this slide some of the things that we do that could give us the label of hypocrite. And gossip is one. I think it's so dangerous, especially in a in a loving church community like this, to gossip about people. You know, um, we as a group of elders, uh, we meet every month. Um, we talk about you not all the time but we do very respectfully incidentally we talk about prayer needs in the church we talk about people having a tough time and we pray for you but we have a very strict rule as elders which is that we never talk about what we've mentioned in our meetings to anybody else it is the only thing that I don't share with my wife And we as elders don't share with anybody else what we talk about. That's how strictly we take your confidence. And I want you to be assured of that. But there are other ways as well that we can um, fall foul of hypocrisy. And one is just to criticise other people and speak behind their back. It's true, isn't it, that when we don't like somebody, we don't tell them. We normally tell somebody else about them. I was very aware in my corporate HR career, how dangerous that could be. You know, a kind of disparaging word could ruin somebody's career. And I learned fairly early on not to do that. Just glance, as Andy invited us to do earlier on, at our values. You know, they do talk about humility. And they hint, certainly, about genuineness and not hypocrisy. And if you don't think it's serious, it is because it destroys relationships. It destroys relationships with God, because it makes us liars. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that God hates those who don't tell the truth. But it also undermines relationships with others as well, the people you work with, the people in your family. Because it means that you're not authentic if you're a hypocrite, and people don't know whether to trust you. You know, if you're always claiming to be better than other people, or claiming to be spiritual, when actually you're not. I always worry when I stand up here to preach that just one or two of you might think he has an amazing spiritual life. Could I put you right on that? I have the same struggles as everybody else, the same struggles with prayer, the same not getting around to my quiet time Bible studies. Not at all better or different. We're all on the same journey and incidentally I think hypocrisy has a real impact on those who are yet to be Christians because they look at us and that's been particularly true I think of the church sex scandals and say well those people are holier than thou you know they don't act in the way that they say others should and largely that has been true of the church and I think it's a terrible condemnation it undermines our integrity so What is the take-home message on hypocrisy? I've got six take-home messages in this sermon. That's probably five too many for most people. So I invite you on this slide and some others that are coming up, just to choose one that you think, that's for me. Now, I think Colin, who incidentally didn't know the content of my sermon, it's amazing that he should pray this morning that we just need to be ourselves. That would be my first thing. Just be yourself. As Paul says, don't compare yourself to others, just be you. You can do that better than anybody else. Be yourself and have a humble view of yourself. And secondly, let your yes be yes. If you agree to do something, do it. If you say yes to something, make sure that you follow through. It's interesting, a friend of mine who's um, the chief executive of a Christian organisation says that the people who are most hypocritical in his organisation are not those who are not Christians or those who are kind of, you know, church-going but occasional Christians. It's the strident evangelical Christians. He said they're the ones who tell everybody else what they should do and then don't do it themselves. They're the ones who are the first to ask for the pay rise. They're the ones who preach morals and then have children out of wedlock. They're the ones who are difficult to manage. Now, I don't want to draw from his experience and make a general rule for everybody, but it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Let your yes be yes, and don't criticise others. I walked out of this church two years ago with my daughter and was making some comments about the person who'd been preaching, which wasn't me, because they were a bit critical. And I was challenged by her when she said, Dad, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's right to criticise people when they haven't got a right to reply back. And I thought, she's right, actually. And so I've stopped doing it. I make a point of not saying critical things about people. I'm not saying that I've given up my critical faculties. Of course not. But, you know, much of the time, we have a go about people when they're not there. We don't need to. Jesus says, or Paul says, actually, you know, let everything you do be good and helpful that your words may be an encouragement. Not a bad guideline. Well, let's talk about humility. Now, I've talked about hypocrisy. You'll recognize, perhaps, uh, these people. One is Hudson Taylor, the great Chinese missionary. He died in the early 1900s. He spent 51 years in China, established uh, 125 uh, schools, and invited 800 missionaries to come. I mean, really, Christianity in China was established by Hudson Taylor. In later life, he returned to the UK and actually lived some time in Switzerland, and he was invited to be a guest speaking at a dinner. He was introduced as, ladies and gentlemen, our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor came to the podium and said, ladies and gentlemen, I am a humble servant of an illustrious master. Quite right too. Great men are very humble. And Winston Churchill was told by one of his secretaries, Mr. Churchill, doesn't it delight you that you can fill a whole room to hear one of your speeches? And Churchill said, with typical Churchillian wit, look, if it was my hanging, there'd be four times the number of people there. (laughs) Well, our model for humility, of course, is Jesus. He was humble, he was the king of kings, he was the power and the authority and yet he washed his disciples feet. He he tells the story of the proud Pharisee who prays, you know, Lord, you know, please bless me in public of course. And the story of the poor man who quietly says, Lord help me, a terrible sinner. And calls the Pharisee out and says, you know, your prayers have already been answered. Everybody's seen you praying. I'm not going to do anything else. But for this poor sinner, whose heart is in the right place, that will be different. Uh, Jesus, who loved children and liked children, really at a time when children were just ignored or just, just off the radar. Jesus said, no, no, they tell us the kind of faith that we must have. Not childish faith, but childlike faith humble yourselves that's his message it's pretty hard isn't it in researching this sermon I found this remarkable posting online you don't know me but I saw you needed some tires for your truck and I wanted to do something nice for a stranger because one day somebody did the same for me the receipts in the envelope just go to the tire warehouse tire on third street ask for Stephen and you'll put them on for free pretty impressive isn't it really well I've tried this with disastrous results (laughs) so for the first time Bessel's Green Baptist Church is going to hear the story of Rick Woodward's anonymous gifts and the first was to somebody who I'm happy to say doesn't come to the church anymore and actually doesn't live in the country so I'm not embarrassed to tell it it was somebody who was in need and Bev and I discussed it and we decided that we would take a gift and anonymously post it through their door There's all sorts of problems with this, folks. Firstly, I wasn't quite sure when they lived. And (laughs) (laughs) so here's number four. Here's number 4A. Which is quite a lot of money. Which is it? You know, which is it to go in? Uh, even now, for all I know, there may be somebody who couldn't believe that this amazing envelope came through the post for some. You know, from who? Because it was anonymous. And I have to say, I, I don't know whether I got it in the right envelope, uh, the right uh, box or not. But it was, it, and I'm being very humble here, a singularly unsatisfactory experience because they were never able to say thank you, which would have been nice. And I wasn't even sure they'd ever received it. I really should have been put off, but I did try once again. It was Christmas, and I decided I would give our minister um, an anonymous Christmas gift. Uh, don't get excited, Andy. These were the days of one minister. You know, It would be beyond my budget to do two. So quite early in the morning, about six in the morning, I, I drive the car down, park it, of course, some distance away from the house, slip the envelope through the door, feeling enormously virtuous. That's really where it started to go wrong. Because as I look back to the car, I realised I had not put the handbrake on. (laughs) And the car was starting slowly but respectfully to move down the road. So I thought, if I run fast, I can get this. But of course, it was starting to speed up. And I I realised fairly early on I wasn't going to stop the car. So then inevitably, your eyes go to what's it going to hit? That was pretty clear. A lamppost. It hit the lamppost and stopped, not too badly damaged. I breathed a sigh of relief. And then, in slow motion, in a way that I can only describe as terrible, the glass dome on the lamp standard clearly dislodged, <laughs> fell downwards. I looked to where it would fall. It was going to land on the windscreen. And it did, and the windscreen didn't shatter, it just cracked really badly, but it made an enormous noise. It then bounced and smashed on the, um, on the pavement. Every window had a curtain <laughs> twitching in a quiet residential street in Seven, I didn't know whether I was going to be arrested, really. And I'm just trying to do something like give an anonymous gift. So I really haven't got any useful experience to share with you about this but I'll have a go. Three ways to be humble. Three take-home messages. Um, Don't think too highly of yourself. Be a servant leader. Ask, what would Jesus do? Let's look at each of those in turn, and then I'll be done. Um, It's easy, isn't it? I'm sure we're all guilty of this, not just the teenagers we live with, to think I am the center of the universe and it all revolves around me. I would say scorn self-importance. You know, if you have a, a car park place at work with your name on it, tell them to get rid of it. If you have, as managers did in the 1970s and the companies I worked with, a silver tray service to bring your tea and coffee. I mean, what this is what's happened to corporate life. You don't get this anymore. Um, your managers did, they got rid of it, but that, that, that was the, I mean get rid of it anyway, you know, get, get rid of all those tacks of self-importance. If people big you up and say how wonderful you are, I mean, just don't believe them. And could I recommend you know, a perfect way to achieve humility, get married, have children. It really is a very good way to be humble. I mean, Jesus was a single man, but he could say to his disciples, which one of you accuse me of sin? And there was silence. Now, can I just speak to the men, and particularly the fathers in the congregation? Don't try this at home. <laughs> because, because if I were to get uh, Katie, my daughter, and Bev, my wife, round the kitchen table and say, I mean, is there the modern equivalent? you know, Is there anything about me that irritates you? Or do you think I do that's not right? You wouldn't get a word in edgeways, you know? <laughs> So don't try this at home, but it, it does help to be married, I think, and live with people who put you in your place. Or as um, Jesus said, very simply, to those who sought credit for what they had done, he said, your attitude should be to say, we are unworthy servants. We've just done our duty. That's what my wife will say to me when I say, well, didn't I give you a lot of help clearing up after the lunch today? Secondly, um, be a servant leader. Now, not all of us are leaders. Not of all of us have that responsibility. And those of us who do sometimes have a naive view that says, I'm a leader. I'm at the top. I'm leading everybody else. But really, um, Robert Greenleaf in the 1970s and Jesus 2,000 years before him um, characterized the style of leadership that turns that upside down, that says, no, no, no. The leader is at the bottom of the pyramid. He or she is enabling people in the organization to deliver the service or make the products that they should. Airlines learned this a long time ago. British Airways have learned it, and then now they've unlearned it, if I might say. But they learned that the people who were at the top of the pyramid were their check-in staff. As far as you and I are concerned, as passengers, that's the airline. And they trained those people to have great skills, because they knew that actually, they were the leaders, really, and the servant leaders were supporting them. As I say, I think it's rather different now. It means that we treat everybody as valuable. So, if you're in a work environment or you have a position of authority, be um, you know, be the friend of your workers, recognise and respect them, and recognise that your role is to support them. You know, I started work, I had work experience with with a, um, a consumer goods company in Manchester, and the. Um, The managing director of the site was a guy called John Clifton, because he was called by all the staff, JC. Hi, JC, everybody would say. And he said, oh, I'll I'll walk you around the factory. We walked around the factory. He knew the names of every single person working there. He said to a guy who was an engineer fixing a piece of machinery, how are you getting on there, Derek? He said, now, how's your wife? Understand she's not being well. He talked to somebody else, and he said, how are the kids? Did he have a nice holiday? I couldn't believe that he could know people. The true Servant leader. He knew that if he cared for his people, they'd care for him and for his products and for his profits. Well, finally, if all that's too complicated, just ask yourself what would Jesus do? Um, I don't wear a, a WWJD band, but there's no reason why I shouldn't. But you know, if you think you could have a bit more respect in life or even a seat on the train, um, just ask yourself what would Jesus do? If you're in a social situation and um, nobody's talking to somebody what would Jesus do he'd go and talk to them if um, somebody is angry with you what would Jesus do he'd, well, he'd go and sort it out if um, you made a mistake what would Jesus do well he'd admit it honestly and apologize and try to resolve things if somebody is different different color different race different anything what would jesus do well he would go and sit with them wouldn't he he put his arm around them now you're going to get a chance to practice this in just a few minutes time when and i'm sure you'll be grateful for this we're going to break for tea and coffee most of us talk to the people we always talk with the nice people our friends what would jesus do he may talk to the people who you don't normally talk to A long time ago, Bev and I visited a new church. It was going to be our home church. The vicar said to us at the door, lovely to have you for the first time. Pop into our church hall. I'll be there and catch up with you in a minute. We went in the church hall. We are new. We are like rabbits in the headlights of a car. All these people running around, chatting to each other, catching up, doing business. I said to Bev, let's get out of here. Nobody's talking to us at all. That's what it feels like when people aren't humble and don't involve you. You're probably thinking this sounds very hard. But you've already seen this on the communion slide that Andy showed. Come unto me, all who are worried and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle, says Jesus. And you um, will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. This isn't hard, folks. Rick, it would be better if you would preach shorter sermons because there's too much to take in. Folks, it's easy. Avoid hypocrisy. Be humble. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are such a model for us. A model of integrity and a model of somebody who always did what he said he would. Right to the cross. And Lord, thank you that although you were the king of kings, you humbled yourself to wash your disciples' feet and to give your lives for us. Help us just to try this week and in the weeks that lie ahead to be more like you. Amen.